Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Mike West. He is the chemist for Embark. Also, Marcus Richardson, aka Bubble Man, in the house representing Embark and some other ventures we're going to get into. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us on The Talking Hedge. Thanks for having us, Josh. Appreciate it. Long time no see. Yeah. So, Mike, we were talking uh, in the green room offline about, um, you know, when I first met you was in 2015 at Green Lion. First time I even heard about kind of concentrates, this weird thing with blow torches and didn't know what was going on. It looked weird. Um, so before we get into Embark and what you guys are up to, tell me a little bit about how you got into the game, what you were doing at uh, Green Lion and why it's no longer around, maybe, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I originally got in the game, had a sister who had severe epilepsy. I had mild epilepsy, so I had to get into the game actually as a teenager looking for cannabis. Um, I ended up moving to school in Colorado because Colorado had a medical program. After I studied kind of biochemistry in college, ended up getting into the medical industry where I was growing and in the medical scene. And as Colorado passed, uh, recreational, they they created a what was called vertical integration, where everything you sold at your retail store, you had to grow yourself. And as somebody who was trying to create medical products for patients, that really limited the the patient reach that I could produce. So I ended up moving in 2011 up to Washington State, Washington State to actually you know get into the medical scene there. When I read Washington's law compared to Colorado's law, it allowed for it allowed vertical separation where the retailers had to be separated from the producers. So the producers kind of had a fair shake in the game. They could they could create businesses, uh, create products, medical products or recreational products, and sell them to all the dispos or retailers uh, as they got licensed. So I ended up partnering with a couple of people to start uh, Green Lion. Great, great group of guys that we ended up founding. We we started as a medical dispensary, um, I guess medical collective at the time, and you know basically a group group of people that were had their own medical farms, and then as we uh, could, we would rent booths at at a local farmers market. There was actually at the time there were cannabis farmers markets in Washington. Um, those need to come back, but they you know, we ended up using that farmer's market as a way to kind of, you know, create a brand that we get called Green Lion. Green Lion is actually a reference to an alchemical extraction um, dating back to the 1400s. Uh, back then, chemistry wasn't a thing, but they were actually using what was called uh, aqua vitale, you know, ethanol moonshine, to extract plant botanical oils and calling it Green Lion. We started this extraction lab, started, started medical, got it recreationally licensed. Uh, ended up, you know, having a disagreement with, with a couple of the other founders because, you know, after, after we got it to a point where we were generating a couple hundred K a year, you know, the, the goal was to create a employee owned company. Um, and the investor decided that he wanted to sell the company to other investors instead of, you know, uh, issuing shares and options to, to the employees that, you know, really did the groundwork. We were all paying ourselves minimum wage just, just to get it started. So after, you know, a couple of people tried to get shares and didn't get them, you know, they ended up dipping out. I dipped out to the state of Illinois, helped create a license out there called Gresco. Um, Gresco was a, you know, awesome, another awesome group of people setting up a medical lab. Illinois was super heavily regulated. Um, so, you know, 
I was able to kind of set up not only a dry sift bubble hash, but also a butane and CO2 extraction lab for them. That way they could get in and start distributing products through the Illinois market. Um, you know, I, I've always, I've actually, dating all the way back to the time that I was a medical patient, um, I was always using kind of bubble bags as kind of my staple go-to to be able to produce bubble hash. Um, Cause I, you know, used to follow Mark on all the internet forums, but back before we had these beautiful things called streaming. So, you know, as I was kind of watching the industries evolve, you know, Illinois created a semi-monopoly market. I think there's 15 companies operating just over 20 licenses in the medical market. That's changed now that Rex opened up, um, but it, created a real limited market, but heavily regulated. So it allowed for us, me to, me to learn the ropes on, you know, creating the GMP labs, kosher labs um, in heavily regulated markets. So that as, you know, the other markets opened up on the East Coast, um, I could start kind of helping those markets set up labs. So, you know, I ended up moving back from Illinois to, to Washington State get close to the family in Spokane, operated a CBD lab, a THC rec lab, and then did a bunch of consulting. And as part of that, uh, you know, I found out that Mark was getting, working on getting his rec license up in BC. And BC, you know, has a federal law that allows patients to federally register, get federal protections, um, cultivate four plants, which we can't do in Washington state currently. Um, and that, and it was a kind of much better program because, you know, as a medical patient, the last thing I want to do is get thrown in jail. I've already, I've already been thrown in jail for cannabis and we don't need to see that happen again. Patients are unduly harmed. And, you know, one of the things that I hope happens is that as, uh, as U.S. federal law changes, we actually see some sort of way that we can address a lot of the, you know, negative consequences of that prohibition has created in many of the communities. So, um, yeah, so, you know, Mark was looking at creating this awesome lab here in BC, as well as another lab in Ontario. Um, you know, Mark has a ton of experience doing solventless labs and my experience is more in the solvent side using things like alcohol, butane, propane, and CO2. Um, so I, I kind of look at cannabis extraction more as in the chemistry side, whereas Mark looks at it being able to use, you know, mechanical separation and physics to be able to isolate those glandular trichromes to produce the highest quality hashes. So the two, two, two of us started talking early on, two plus years ago, planning on how we can get a lab uh, operating up here. And, you know, BC being a federal program, it took, us over almost a year to get our building uh, rezoned, re-permitted, light and license building and building permits, get it get it partially built out so we could actually turn a portion of it into a license and get it licensed. So we actually were able to finally get it licensed last April. Um, and then or excuse me, last March, we went live last April. And then last six months, we've been operating essentially B2B, producing hash for the other farms in and around BC or in and around Canada. Well, it's a federal program, so we can process for anyone in the country. So we've been basically operating the bubble hash lab, you know, custom design systems that, that Whistler Technology built. 
um, and then built around kind of two March spec as nice ice as we can have this beautiful RO filtration system um, producing you know real fine micron specific bubble hash that we then you know cryogenic or super cold freeze dry um, and then kind of blend in order to make a couple different grades of hash so the those different types of hash that we're producing in that bubble hash room are allowing us to then kind of roll out the, the next section of rooms that we're building out, which is the dry sift pressed hash and all those other types of hash. So, I know you're into full melt as well. So I kind of want to get into some of those details, but so to clarify, Mike, when you went out to Illinois, was that Cresco labs? When you say Cresco, you got so, it. Did you get paid in share and, and cash? Or was that just, I'm just curious. You, you, Options and cash. Okay, interesting. So still private. That could be a, an interesting thing. We'll have to do another podcast on. Um, so Mark, tell me a little bit about your journey into the cannabis space. And maybe uh, in that description, tell me why I like hash so much. I just thought it was old school before I learned about all these other things that I'll let you dive into terpenes, flavonoids, all that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll whip through it because it's kind of a long story. I've been at this for over 30 years. Um, started as a hemp, hemp activist out in Manitoba. Uh, when I was quite young, 17 years old, I was getting really hard and heavy into cannabis. I'd smoked it around 14. And so I was three years in and I was exponential grower. Like it was like I tried a joint and then I bought an ounce and then I had a quarter pound and then I was just like going fast through the levels and uh, my dad saw it and he said look if you're going to do this you know do it right because you're living in an area where they'll put you in a cage with actual dangerous people and so I looked into starting as a hemp activist with some partners of mine Martin Moravchik and Alex Schwieski back in the Manitoba uh, hemp days we got hemp growing in 1995 for the first time in over 73 years in our province based on the work we did approaching our Minister of Finance and our Minister of Agriculture. My partners went on to start a company called Manitoba Harvest, which uh, recently sold for $419 million uh, to the Tilray Group. Prior to that, they sold the company to the Compass Group down in California for $132 million US dollars, I believe. So the company was a great success. I left Manitoba in 96, came out to British Columbia, linked up with uh, Hillary Black, who was founding the BC Compassion Club about a year later. I helped facilitate that club and did everything I could for them. Uh, I would philanthropy, you know, I was a cannabis broker at the time. And so any kind of extra cannabis I had, I made sure it went to the club. And I did everything I could for the club until eventually I ended up getting in some trouble for the club. Uh, they were asking me to carry um, some cannabis home for them because people were breaking into their shops. I ended up getting caught up with some pounds at a roadblock. Uh, which has all been, you know, long gone now. This was 1998. But what it did is it led me to start a new company called Fresh Headies. And it led me to start to popularize and bring to the world cold water ice extraction. I coined the term bubble hash. I coined the term bubble bags. And I gave myself the silly moniker that is bubble man, not really thinking it would stick. Uh, so I was out here doing the bubble bags. I, I rocked that out for the last uh, 22 to 23 years since 1999. March was when the birth of that company happened. In fact, three doors over from the house I'm sitting in right now is the house my wife sewed the very first bubble bags in 1999. And so throughout that, obviously, you know, over the years of teaching people how to do this, I, son, I sort of unwittingly became a voice of authority on the subject and, you know, often sometimes thrown around that term expert, not one that I like so much because I think of myself as a student. 
Um, but so a lot of people started, you know, coming to me. And as the industry grew and grew, I, I did a company in Jamaica called Cannabinoid Research and Development. Um, unfortunately, picked the wrong uh, partners for that. The Jamaican partners were amazing. The American partners, not so much. So that faltered and, and it just sort of fell flat. Uh, then I hooked up with um, a tissue culture company called Segra International, and I started doing some consulting for them, um, which is, they're an amazing company. We could do what you could do a whole other podcast on. Um, I started working with Whistler Technologies to industrialize and design equipment to commercialize the process of water and ice extraction. And then very soon in the same sort of uh, timeline, my two founding partners, uh, Michael Curtis and Bruce Dawson Scully approached me and said, hey, we're starting this company. We want you kind of, you, we want you as our extractor and it's an extraction company. We don't really want, you know, like you're the guy for us. And it was just different from when Canopy and some of the other bigger companies approached me, which were like, we want to lock you into a non-compete. We want to make you, our, you know, our, you know, work for us and no one else ever in the industry, which, you know, someone who's been in the industry for 25 to 30 years, a company requesting them to sign a non-compete disclosure and all these other things is kind of greasy. And uh, Bruce and Michael just weren't having any of it. They were like, no, no, we don't want to control you. We don't want to wrap you up. We want you to be doing exactly what you're doing out in the world. And we want to make things so sweet at Embark that you're just going to naturally bring things to Embark. And it's exactly how it played out. It's like, instead of going into this fear and scarcity corporate vibration that most corporations are stuck in, they kind of fell into this more love and abundance and said, hey, we'll just make it work out. And so that's the reason I joined Embark because they didn't want to control me the way every other company wanted to control me. And so the minute they approached me, I went home that night. I wrote like a five page document on what my vision was for Embark. And it was, you know, it was unique because I'm a solventless guy. So for me to decide that I wanted to create a seven to eight modality quiver and involve CO2, ethanol, hydrocarbon, terpene extractions, dry sift, rosin, bubble hash, all of these processes, I thought, let's create a quiver. And the first and only name that came to mind for my chemist was Mike West. I had been hanging out with him on my show, Hash Church, on our show, Hash Church, really, a show that we've done on Sundays over the course of the last five years, starting in uh, 2015. Um, which was, you know, very well received, millions of views, hundreds of thousands of people have, uh, have seen this show. And uh, it just sort of connected us to this dialogue of constantly sharing and talking and being very open, quite the opposite thing that companies want you to do. The problem is, is when you try to hold your IP and you try to be quiet and you try to control, you go nowhere. And when you open the dialogue and you engage with everyone and you pull from all these different unique, brilliant minds, you go everywhere. And so that is kind of the foundation of, of Embark, how it happened with, you know, Michael and, and uh, Bruce approaching me the way they did. You know, Mike Curtis, he was getting a dozen calls a month, at least for people. Hey, can you come build my, hey, can you come over here and build my, and so I was, I wasn't sure that Mike was going to have time for me, but lo and behold, he was like, dude, I got time for you. And he came up to Canada and uh, we started the ball rolling and he's been, uh, you know, He's been an absolute uh, essential uh, part of the company from, because, you know, both Mike and I starting at the facility, starters were janitors, we're, we're sweeping floors, we're cleaning toilets, we're cleaning bathrooms, we're cleaning walls, 
And then slowly now we're getting into construction and now we're construction workers. We're building walls, we're getting electricians. And Mike had dealt with literally all of the construction workers at the facility. He was hired as a chemist. He's literally done everything but chemistry since we started. Yeah. I mean, everything. You can't imagine people got this guy. Oh, there's wires hanging out. Of, oh, can you go deal with the uh, computer? Can you? He is a man of a thousand hats. And I personally am just so excited because we're now getting so close. Mike touched on it a little bit about the hash that we've been making. So we've been making this bubble hash. It's the first product that we're going to be bringing to um, to the market. And it's going to be under our brand Hazel, which uh, Stephanie and the team did a, an amazing job on all the graphics for Hazel, really cool oranges and yellows and blue colors. The name is Hank Co. Uh, and we made some beautiful Afghan Kush bubble hash. Uh, I learned from the industry that, you know, I can't just do eight microns of bubble hash, because if you're familiar with bubble hash, there's eight different bags in my kit. Well, at the end of it, when I thought in this La La Land that we were just going to start selling individual microns, while well, the system is set up a little bit differently, and although Canada is an amazing system, there still are, are some things like if we are ordering for a province like a, the province of British Columbia, uh, and they want to order some of our products, we need to make sure we have an order prepared for them and almost another order or two waiting for them, because if they sell out and order more and we don't have it, you kind of drop to the queue. So having like that much 90 micron specific hash was next to impossible. So what we did is we discussed uh, breaking down um, the, the microns into uh, a couple of grades, like a mid THC and a high THC. So our Hank is, uh, one of them is, is darn near 70% THC and that's the orange one that says high THC on the screen there. And you can see it's a blend of 45, 73, 90, and 120 micron. And then the microns that were left over from that skew go over to the mid THC, which is a funny term because it's 61.4%, not even 10% less in the THC realm. Some of the highest hash, the 61 is just below, I think the next highest in the market is 65. So our 70 will definitely be the highest THC content in, in the market. And so those are the first two SKUs. Um, we do have a variety of, of brands coming down the line. There's also the uh, Hazel, which uh, Mike can sort of scroll down. You can see right there, we've got our Hank bubble hash, our Hank dry sift. You've got Hazel. Hazel is going to be a very unique product for Embark because it's a, it's a product that some good friends of mine were making uh, for years and years and years. And we got the technology and brought it into the legal platform. And these are pure hash joints that have no paper, they have no glue. They are literally hash rolled into a perfect joint. It's a one gram product. It's the most amazing celebratory joint you'll yeah. ever smoke. It, Dude, it is so cool. Every time I've ever lit one of these with people, they've just been like, that is unbelievable. Wow. So this product, I mean, don't get me wrong. The bubble hash is going to be a major differentiator for us. I just recently toured a bunch of stores and I walked around and I said, how, how are you guys for bubble hash? And a lot of them were like, well, you know, you know, we're not, you know, the bubble hash isn't that exciting. And I'm like, yeah, well, I've seen a lot of what's out there and you're right. It's not very exciting. And so what we're trying to do, the people who actually coined the term bubble hash is release a product that is respectful of the term and the name that I named back in 1999 to describe a very specific type of hash, one that bubbled and melts. 
And so our high THC bubble hash is definitely going to do that. I did keep off the terminology full melt, if you've noticed. That connects to my integrity. I haven't been able to throw any of this into a bowl and melt it and watch it boil and bubble. Uh, there's no mechanisms available for me to do that. What I did do is I took a tiny little bit and I pressed it very gently just to see the melt factor. And I turned it into a stained glass window piece of like gold leaf flake. So I know the, the hash is going to be proper, but because I haven't seen it, I refuse to put the terminology full melt. And we had it on there probably five or six times. I asked the team to take it off until we can confirm with our customer base that it is indeed full melt. And only then will we put the term full melt. And I do that as well because that's another term that I coined back in 1999, 2000 with Skunk Man Sam. And I refuse to use terms that were coined for very specific descriptions to use them on things that are not that description. And I've already seen in the market companies that have put full melt and lo and behold, the hash itself is not full melt. So maybe you want to talk about full melt. Um, I was curious about Embark actually, before we kind of get into details about this, this merger that you guys ha have uh, Hank and, and Hazel as the product. Um, here, so Mike, you ended up leaving the United States to go to Canada because you said it was easier with the federal laws that they had. It was easier for you to conduct business up there. And so you went and did you, you, you uh, did you start Embark up well, in Canada? Oh. I'll say that it, it's much more heavily regulated than many of the states, um, especially the recreational states. However, when you look at taking a business, you know, from being able to create medical products and getting those products to anyone in the world, any medical patient in the world, you know, if, if I want to export a CBD product in the states, it, I have to be able to get a GMP certification uh, on that CBD lab get it get your products registered and then and then apply for import and export permits and hope still hope that the customs doesn't seize your products so here in canada you know it's a federal program so it actually allows for us to you know we're currently located in bc but we're also building a facility in ontario you know we, we can we're kind of focusing on processing material that's here in bc and obviously rolling out products you know we're we're currently licensed to sell product in BC. We're also, we just got our license to sell products in Alberta, but it's basically, a, a, we have to apply to each one of the provinces to sell our hash in that province. But since it's a, since it's a federal program, you know, I can sell to any one of the provinces. And for that matter, since it's a federal program, we can export our products overseas, both CBD and THC. So, you know, when you're looking at it as a, you know, there's still a whole federal U.S. medical program that has to be passed. The FDA is going to have to get involved to license a bunch of medical producers in the U.S. And then some year, some number of years after um, the medical, federal medical pro interstate commerce begins, then they'll start allowing federal recreational Canada is a couple years behind Washington, some of the West Coast states, you know, states like Washington, Oregon, California, and Colorado. Those states were the laboratories of democracy that tested how the programs would work. And some of them have pros and some of them have cons. Canada, you know, passed a federal program. So even though medical has been going on in Canada longer, 
um, than many of the US states, it, it being a federal program and now being a recreational federal program, it allows us to roll out products across the entire country here in Canada, as well as potentially exporting products overseas. So it's even though it's a you know it is a much more heavily regulated product, we have to, we have to comply to what's called GPP good production practices, which essentially means that we have to be inspected and we have to keep track that everything gets sterilized from the ceilings to the floors and every piece of equipment in between. Now, because we're intending to produce medical products as well, we're proactively building a facility that's going to be GMP accredited as well, but GMP accreditation you know, is primarily documentation, SOPs and all of that, um, as well as, you know, being independently accredited where we have independent inspectors come in and make sure that every, every surface is sterile because we've designed it to be sterile. We, we wipe it down, we sterilize every surface and we're not doing uh, things that could potentially cross-contaminate the products. So it's, yeah, it's, Canada is, you know, relatively as complicated as some of the limited licensed states on the on the midwest and east coast but you, be, when you jump through all those loopholes and you know spend the year to get licensed it opens up a much larger market now as you mentioned you know i i'm an american i'm i'm a cannabis refugee in canada i had to i had to apply for a work visa and it took me almost nine months to get that work visa uh, in order to actually come up here that was a one-year work visa Fortunately, my wife's my wife has a dual residency. She's Canadian and American, so we've already applied for a permanent residency. But it take you know, COVID makes applying for work visas and applying for permanent residencies a lot more complicated. But to be honest, is as as a medical patient, it's you know, I it, who comes from Idaho, which if you follow the news, Idaho is not a cannabis friendly state. Um, you know, do I want to go? To Idaho and potentially be arrested and thrown in jail for three to five to ten years or do I want to live somewhere that allows me to not only produce products in a licensed and safe market but also be able to work with universities on a federal level and do research we can do that here we can't we can't in the states without jumping through all the licenses and even you know even when you have big multi-state operators backing you doing the federal research requires you to jump through all of NIDA's loopholes. And they're, you know, good luck getting one of those federal NIDA supply licenses. I know, I I've know multiple people who have applied, but they're just stonewalling it. And, you know, I hope that with the new administration, we're gonna see some of that, you know, glacial speed speed up, but ultimately it's gonna have to come through the laboratories of democracies that we call states, state markets, moving the ball. And as that median of kind of what the, what people find acceptable shifts, then you're gonna be able to see it open up. Now, you know, there are things, you know, Washington, California has much better laws in, in regards to packaging and branding. Here in Canada, we have to be fairly discreet with our branding. It can't, it can't have bright colors. We can't have, fun display stuff our retail packaging has to be fairly nondescript you can't see the product it has to be an opaque jar and it has to be covered uh, by these thc warnings and by government warnings that you know require that we actually have i think eight different warnings that we have to cycle through on all of our packaging in a random assortment mm -hmm. so the government of canada has not made packaging fairly friendly 
but you know that we're going to see that you know as as people become more accustomed to it as people can you know understand how it's going to be there what's going to happen is you're going to see the the loosey goosey states kind of tighten down on some of the regulations that are allowing for some of some of the oversupply and traditional market you know, growth while at the same time you're going to see you know some of the licensed markets you know even though it's a pain in the ass to be an early adopter mm -hmm. once you become that early adopter you can distribute not only you know nationally but internationally and i think you know it's it's a good lesson for all the people that are debating jumping you know, staying in the traditional market or getting licensed if you get a state license when the federal licenses come you're going to have to have a state license so when federal laws change any multinational or publicly traded company is going to have to either invest in an existing license or buy an existing license if you're in a state by state basis mm -hmm. that's basically your way into another state and so it's we're going to you know, right now many of those state by state licenses are primarily angel investors or small groups of investors that are investing into the companies whereas as it, as your your market grows to a point where you can become a you know, multi-state operator or, or list to become a publicly traded company, your responsibilities end up growing as well as, as a, you know, founder or as a employee of a company. So, you know, you have to be a lot more diligent on, on fiduciarily, you have to be diligent on disclosures and all that stuff, but it, it makes it fun. You know, I, I like the idea of taking company, getting people in the traditional market transition to through angel investors to become to launching brands and then bringing those brands public. So beautiful. I think it's interesting that both of you guys had similar experiences that brought you all to the same place. Um, Mike, you with a green lion, um, you wanting the employee um, employee owned benefits. And then uh, Mark, you down in Jamaica had your own issues down there with uh, with mishaps and management with the US sector. And now you guys are there together learning from your experiences and building this awesome company that you both are proud to be a part of. So I'm super excited about that hash joint right there. I can't wait till the borders open up because that's going to be one of the first things I do is roll up there and smoke me that hash joint. Where can people find you at? Uh, any plugs you want to, uh, to put in at this point? Um, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, so we, we have sales amendments um, in BC and on, on, in Ontario. Um, I'll just kind of scroll up to this top page. So bubble hash and, and uh, is going to market as, as we speak. Um, we're, we're basically shipping to on, uh, excuse me, shipping to Alberta and shipping to BC. We have our, uh, we've announced our sales amendments. We're moving from the West Coast to the East Coast and just applying for sales amendments in each province as we go. And as we, as we get the sales amendments in each province, we're also gonna be rolling out new products within each province. So bubble, we're getting bubble hash, getting dry sift, and, and getting pressed hash on onto the market for 420. Um, also trying to get the rosin as well as the hazel sticks, you know, ideally before 420 or early spring. Um, didn't get to touch on it yet. Meridian, our topical line is going to be a nano infused uh, topical that that's coming to market in the early spring, and then our beverage infused drink um, is going to be coming essentially early late spring and early summer. 
perfect so, we're gonna put some links in the show notes where people can find you on social media as well as your website and with that i think we're gonna roll this one up i want to thank my guest mike west he is the uh chemist with embark as well as marcus richardson um he is the founder um with uh he's the bubble man basically that's it right there so with that we're gonna roll this one up i'm josh kincaid this is the talking hedge don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't and i'm out don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.